A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week, we're going to be talking about Gilmore Girls A Year in the Life and a new graphic novel, Saving Grace by Grace Wilson. Anna has also watched the 1938 film Bringing Up Baby for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that went later in the show. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've just been looking through your emails, some great emails this week. Yeah, loads of you had opinions about Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And I'll chat about that in last week's episode. Ethan gets in touch to say, I was interested in your discussion of the Obscurial, which, if you remember, is the sort of magical phenomenon discussed in the film where a young person who suppressed their magic becomes a big black gas and destroys stuff (laughs) i guess is the best way to describe it he says jk rowling has a reputation for being a borrower from other texts the obscurial seems very similar to niffins from lev grossman's trilogy the magicians which we have talked about on the podcast before Mm -hmm. it's a trilogy of books about a magical university in the magicians when a magician casts a spell with too much anger or passion the spell can consume them and they become a niffin a demon-like bundle of blue flame Rolling turns magical rage into a black cloud of destructive energy. At a minimum, they seem to be on the same page. A great email. We also had one from Charlie Strebinger, who got in touch to talk about why they decided to go with Newt Scamander to lead the story of Fantastic Mm. Beasts, something that we thought was maybe a little strange when we were discussing the movie. And they say... By using a Brit for the main role, things about magic in America had to be explained to him, much like the fans of Harry Potter who are used to magic in England. I'm still not sure exactly why Newt was chosen to be the Englishman to lead the audience through this world, but that was one reason I thought that there was the Newt storyline, which I think is a good suggestion in that it sort of bridged the familiar world, Hogwarts existing English slash Scottish world and the American world of magic. Yeah, definitely classic storytelling trope, isn't it, to use an outsider as the proxy for an audience to explain the rules of a new situation so yeah Yeah. he definitely served that function but why it was newt as opposed to like badass batilda bagshot yeah or like (laughs) a weasley great uncle Mm -hmm. or something is Mm -hmm. isn't not yet clear to me that's just my fanfic dream for another day a history of magic feet batilda bagshot oh yeah in a cool outfit (laughs) nice trousers (laughs) we also had an email from amy who got in touch to say that after we were talking about nw's aesthetic Uh, we might be interested in the appropriately named Fuck Yeah Brutalism Tumblr. And I am indeed interested in that and several other brutalism Twitter feeds and and Tumblr things that I follow. I'm quite into all that. There's one that I follow, a Twitter feed called At This Brutal House, which um, I'm very into. It just posts really nice pictures of council blocks and stuff. So the first thing we're going to talk about this week is Gilmore Girls, A Year in the Life, Netflix's revival series of the early noughties show Gilmore Girls, 
You may have heard us <laughs> discussing this before. <laughs> Set in the fictional utopian small town of Stars Hollow, it follows single mother Lorelai, her boyfriend Luke, and her now 32-year-old daughter Rory as they attempt to navigate their adult lives and relationships. So Rory is now the same age that Lorelai was when the original series started. So things are very much coming full circle for these characters. So Caroline, what was your general impression of the revival? I really liked it. Oh, good. Lots of the stuff that I was worried about, say, them not treating Stars Hollow the same and keeping up the same, like, weird, quirky, seasonal traditions and the same ensemble feeling and stuff, all of that was there in full measure. And there were some really, really great moments to do with the, you know, the musical that they're putting on. Um, I loved the musical, I have to say. It's like a, it's a full 10 to 15 minutes (laughs) of an episode, but I did really, really enjoy the musical. I love that. I love that they still had some scenes that were town meeting and all kinds of things in it. I love that all of the minor characters that I know and love from early episodes all got a little turn, no matter how small. So even though, like, Miss Patty didn't really have a storyline as such, she was still, like, in loads of scenes Mm -hmm. and had quite a few lines. Even though they only got Melissa McCarthy on set for, like, one day because she's now a big-time movie star, they still managed to, like, give her a really substantial scene. So, yeah, I love that it was still an ensemble drama, amazingly, even though it's been 10 years. Yeah, that's funny, because I think I had re- I had really mixed feelings about mm. this revival. Some bits I thought were great, some bits not so great. There was also some hashtag problematic things. Like, yeah. There was a bit of retconning. We did get a gay character, finally, in Michelle. So they sort of just deleted the fact that they'd said that he was yeah. straight before, but maybe he just came out later, and anyway, now he seems to be married and potentially having children. Rose Abdu, who plays Gypsy, also plays Emily's new maid, which is obviously quite deeply problematic. Yeah, that whole <laughs> for race thing reasons. was odd. It's quite strange. Um, and there's like a weird scene where they talk about who's gay in Stars Hollow, and that feels a bit weird. And obviously, there are still not really any black people there. So all of that's still a bit of a problem. And basically, just because it's a hangover from a show from an earlier time, I think. But yeah, one. Of, it's funny that you say that you were keen on the ensemble nature of it because I think one of my problems with with the revival was it seemed to me like they had gone cast first so they'd like been like okay Mm. who who's gonna be on board for this revival we've got Rory we've got Lorelai we've got all the you know the key people we actually definitely need and we've got all the ex-boyfriends and we've got everyone from Stars Hollow and we've got everyone from Emily's World and we've Mm. got everyone from Yale and we've got literally everyone signed on to do this And I think there was just so much going on, especially in that first episode. And there were some moments where people would like walk into scenes and I'd almost be expecting some like canned applause because like (laughs) it would be like, who's going to be in the shot? And you like wouldn't be able to see and then they'd swing round. And so that kind of stuff felt like a bit off to me. But I thought they got like better and better as they went along. I really liked Summer, which was the the episode we were saying with the with the Stars Hollow musical. Yeah, that was really good. Should we start by talking about Lorelai's storyline? So hers was actually the one I liked the most Mm -hmm. of all of them and that I felt was most true to how she was written before. So her arc is basically that, you know, her father's died a few months before the opening episode. She and her mother have had this massive fight at the funeral, which you get a flashback to. She ends up going to therapy with her, with Emily, a few times. She and Luke kind of, she feels like maybe they're in a bit of a rut. Something that I really noticed in this, I can't remember was really in the previous series, is that 
Laurie and Luke never express any physical affection towards each other. Yeah. It was, if you didn't know they were in a relationship because they talk about being in a relationship, I don't think you'd be able to tell. It's quite like their relationship from before yeah. they actually started they having sex. They don't, like, touch each other mm. in that, like, comforting, platonic way that people who are really close do. Maybe they use that, like distancing thing because it is a thing you you get with people who've been in relationships for a long time where it's kind of gone off off. the boil a bit where Mm. they just become like really excellent roommates Mm. and um like almost go out of their way to never have any physical contact because that's like too much like what they had before yeah you know so maybe that was deliberate but that just really struck me this time and we should say obviously like spoiler alerts everywhere in this yeah if you're worried about hashtag final four words etc just go away and come back later because we're going to talk about everything yeah so in the final episode when luke thinks that lorelei is going to break up with him actually she asks him to marry her and then they have this really passionate Mm -hmm. kiss but up until that point you could be like oh these these two brother and sister they live Mm. together very happily (laughs) yeah i guess that's true i think one thing with Lorelai's plot line is that they have it kind of easier with her because from the day that we open in 2000 or whatever on her life, she's sort of found the life that she wants. She's yeah. already moved away from her parents. She's found this amazing town that where she just completely clicks and fits in. She's got a job that she's loving, even though it gets her career expands and builds. It's still pretty much the same thing that she's doing. Mm. So they have this plot line where they're like, well, she's still doing all the same stuff as she was before. She's maybe feeling a bit like she's having a slight existential crisis about it, but she's she will come around is essentially the arc right yeah and i think that's easier with her whereas with rory the whole show has always been about rory escaping her roots as it were and like not doing what her mum does yeah and that's where they have a slightly more difficult situation because either rory is like off having an extremely successful career and isn't in stars hollow or she's back in stars hollow and you can't really have both so they've had to sort of make a choice there where they've basically where they go in this season is rory is still a journalist but not a successful journalist as she'd like and she's freelance and she's not really sure where she's living or what she's doing and she's never had a staff writer position and she's really lacking in security they're still able to afford a lot of flights to London. <laughs> yeah, I thought that. She's bouncing back and forth between New York and London, essentially. Allegedly because she's working on this book project with a British journalist. Um, but you don't get money for that. Like that, She's just yeah. working on a book proposal, Yeah, right? they haven't <laughs> even got a contract. And it's basically just a device so that she could have sex with Logan. Exactly. And I think that you could be like, as an intelligent viewer, be like, well, maybe Logan's paying for the flights, or maybe this is the trust fund that she's meant to have that mm. kicked in when she was 25, or maybe Richard left her yeah. loads of money when he died. But it still seems a bit weird. And yes, she's flying to London and regularly having sex with an engaged Logan, which to me completely doesn't fit with the story arc we had between Rory and Logan in season no. seven, which was, I want to marry you. This relationship either goes forward or it doesn't happen at all. And now we're meant to believe that Logan is like engaged, but still happy to have sex with Rory on the side, which seems very bizarre to me. And part of a series of decisions, I think, made by Amy Sherman Palladino in this, which sort of suggests that although season seven happened in her brain, it did not happen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So she sort of changed the character motives. And like, we never hear about what Rory got up to with Barack Obama. Like no. where that led took her career because I think maybe in ASP's mind it just didn't really happen. <laughs> yeah, I, so I read a really interesting piece from 2014, which we'll link to in the notes, which by Rishi K. Hirway, who does the really excellent Song Exploder podcast. And he mm. posited back in 2014 that actually Gilmore Girls is at its best when you understand it as 
Rory's decline and fall. Mm. That, you know, in season one, everything is going so well for her. Like, she just starts this new school. She is doing great. She's, um, he quotes Luke as saying, like, you look like you should be on top of a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. Like, she's so perfect. And then every series after that is how she doesn't live up to what she thinks she ought to be. Mm -hmm. And that he says that his ideal thing would be if it, um, the show ended after season five. Yeah, I so agree. I think because it's so funny because Gilmore Girls is something where people are always like season seven, the bad season. And for me, season six is is the bad season mm. of get, where everything completely goes wrong. And it's not not even in that quite good, like Paris having a meltdown at Chilton way, but just in that like abandonment of, of key character. I don't know how many times, like in this revival, there's a moment where Laura like, says like, you know, this isn't very Rory yeah. having sex with a married man. And you're like, wait, how many times does Rory have to do something before it becomes a Rory thing to do? Well, She's done this before. Like. That's what I thought. And it's really interesting that uh, Rory is the character who I ended up not liking as much as I at the end of this as I did at the start. Yeah, definitely. Because I think, you know, whatever you feel about Dean, she did do a bad thing mm-hmm. there. But you couldn't say, you know, who who among us did not do bad things when we were young? And you're like, she's not young anymore. And this is somewhere she's been before and she's still doing it, but worse and more elaborately. Definitely. I think uh, at this point you can say, no, this is just who you are now. Yeah, she just treats men badly specifically yeah. specifically paul we yeah, talk about paul, paul paul who's this boyfriend that she she has but everyone forgets about every five minutes which is funny for at, at first i think but he is also a person and it does just feed into this whole like rory cannot end relationships she doesn't know how to do it even when she's unhappy she cannot like respect people enough particularly men to like be honest with them also can i just say as someone who when i was in my very early 20s thought I'd broken up with someone and then had to do it again a week later because I'd been so gentle they hadn't noticed uh (laughs) once once that has happened to you once you never let it happen again it is the worst yeah she she's really bad at ending relationships I also thought that there's a warmth to Rory's character in especially the early seasons where she's just funny Mm. and I think some of the biggest laughs I had in the early seasons of Gilmore Girls are like laughing at Rory's sort of confused face or like her trying to do something and being really really awkward and failing and I didn't get very much warmth from Alexis Bedell in this revival and I don't like being like mean about actors performances but it just everything read as completely cold to me in this and like she was very polite and smiley but not almost there fully as a person which was a shame one element of Rory that I did really like was her career plotline because that was really interesting I think it's quite I think it probably hits home to a lot of people especially like young journalists like me and you who know that the industry is a bit fucked and it's really hard to get jobs and hard to get like paid well for your writing and hard Mm. to get people to agree to let you write things that you really want to write but also Rory I think is fundamentally not a very good journalist and this explored that quite deeply in a way that I really liked so she spends ages like basically bitching about this website that she thinks is beneath her because it's not the New Yorker and then when she goes and she assumes that they're just going to hire her immediately and instead they ask her for some ideas and she didn't bring any at all and she hasn't got any yeah (laughs) like doesn't know what she's talking about and there's this room full of like really qualified really smart young women and she's basically not one of them she's too old she's too arrogant she hasn't brought any ideas and she has a bit of a meltdown afterwards to me that is classic Rory behavior like season five Rory behavior yeah Um, the kind of behavior that made her steal a yacht 
out of like <laughs> pure petty can't take criticismness. So I did like that plot line, even though a lot of people acted surprised about it as though we were meant to watch it and be like, but she's a great journalist. Whereas I think we're meant to watch it and be like, wow, Rory should write this book because she's a really bad journalist. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I guess with the slightly added insight of having been in some of the situations she's in Mm -hmm. and like failed at them and then had to work harder to succeed, you know that in journalism, as I'm sure in lots of other professions, but particularly journalism and particularly now, when that happens to you, you go to the next interview better prepared. Yeah. Like you try again and you try harder. You don't like throw your phones in a bin and then walk out. Mm-hmm. So that was funny, but I thought quite good, even if I found Rory's romantic plot lines deeply yeah. unfulfilling. Also, and I was sad I... about Jess. Yeah, he didn't really get much. Can we also just briefly say that the Life and Death Brigade scene scene was so shit so bad and so long like who wanted a 20 minute long weird dance scene in the mist with the life and death brigade where they end it by like the people these people who she barely knows she barely knows the life and death brigade are like crying because rory's saying goodbye it's like what what are you talking about so yeah i completely agree so moving on from rory my favorite narrative of the whole thing by far was Emily's narrative, which I thought was amazing and so weird. (laughs) So weird, but so interesting. It was so great. It was really a great look at what happens to a married woman after her husband dies, especially when she started to absorb his personality as her own. And basically, Emily like sells her house in Hartford, moves to Nantucket and becomes a tour guide in a whaling museum. (laughs) And it's the best thing I've ever seen. And she's just, her whole plot line is great. And I think a real, it's really funny to me how the, the three plot lines are basically, Gilmore Girls, I think a lot of the time is about like, progression versus inheritance and repeating the mistakes of your parents Lorelai has to stay where she is Rory sort of has to stay where she is and is in this awful like trying to reach further but can't and then Emily they just who's the one that you would expect to stay the same they completely push her out and let her go and do something different and it really really works for that character which I loved the other plotline that I was really excited about was Paris's plotline and Lane's plotline I felt like Paris got some good stuff but i wanted her to have a better job i don't know what you think no i think her her job was really good for her in the sense that so it's referenced that you know she's a medical doctor and has all these other degrees and she's set up what sounds like a really vast fertility yeah company i just wanted her to be like ruling the world rather than like selling you know surrogacy yeah. yeah but i feel like you know she's obviously really successful at it and had managed to find like a business opportunity where she could have total control over everything which is what Paris wants more than anything so I feel like it was a good fit for her contrast that with Lane who basically gets nothing (laughs) yeah I mean we we just get no information about what she's doing apart from like still with what's his face yeah Zach Zach. and And Rory never asks her about her life so we never find out yeah thanks a lot Rory ask your best friend how she is once instead of just complaining at her the whole time and then like using her house to stay in Yeah. yeah it's so so that was a shame I think a mixed bag overall but we should briefly discuss the final four words which were, mom, yes, I'm pregnant. (laughs) Which for me felt inevitable. I always thought the final four words would be something to do with pregnancy. And for me, weirdly, it seems more full circle now that Rory is 32, the age that Lorelai was at the beginning of the season. Feels more full circle-y, which can be a bit much sometimes. But I I was pleased. I thought it was good because not only does it really nicely wrap up what we've had so far it does open the door to a future revival if they want to do it Mm -hmm. which could be interesting also i felt like it fitted with what 
had happened to Rory mm-hmm. in this. There was not much in there about her wanting children. She, at one point, as my friend pointed out, she gives a sock puppet show to some kids. Yeah, she does. And entertains them for a bit. But it's funny. But then I, and, and I suppose the same thing happened with Lorelai and that she never really wanted children. She just found herself in a situation where she was having a child and dealt with it. Maybe they want that for Rory's plotline as well. But I did like it. For me, it felt like this is what they were setting up. And it was all very, very based on like what happened to Lorelai. So here's Rory having a baby with someone that she... If we assume it's Logan, which I, I think we do. I assumed it was Logan's, yeah. With someone that she perhaps isn't isn't the love of her life, even though they are a nice, supportive, smiley young person, like Christopher was. Rory has this conversation with Christopher where she's like, "Did you do you think it would have been better if mum had forced mm. you to be involved in the bringing up of her child and he's like no definitely not it worked that you were brought up by a single mother even though i loved you so she's like "Mm, maybe i won't involve logan in this meanwhile jess is around potentially going to be on hand to help with the bringing up of this child in the same way that luke was sort of around when lorelei was bringing so it's very very much like lorelei's life and rory's life have all these strong parallels a lot of people i know felt like it was too much other people i knew really loved it but it seems like that's what they're trying to do yeah and i think i I felt, as I said, I felt like it really fitted with the arc that Rory had in this series. Because I do think that she could make her journalism career work if she worked harder at it. Mm-hmm. And she clearly doesn't want to or doesn't have the capacity to do so. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she's got to do other stuff. Yeah. The Jess shipper inside me was really, mm. really fulfilled by that. And that is literally basically like the fan fiction plotline I had in my head after Gilmore Girls ended and I realised Jess wasn't going to come back and like marry Rory. So um, I was pleased in that sense. Should we mention the uh, the awful social network moment of like, just call it Gilmore Girls. Oh, lose the the. It's yeah. cleaner. <laughs> Which yeah. like made me die. And that also, I mean, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I generally am not a fan of like cultural things where they say the, the name, name of, of the, the thing, thing in the, the thing. thing. <laughs> it's so annoying. Because it's so lame. And yet people are still doing it. I wish, honestly, I would have found that plotline fine where she was writing a memoir about her relationship with her mum if it had literally been called something like It's a Mother-Daughter Thing or like another (laughs) quote from the series. Just the fact that it was called Gilmore Girls made me die. But anyway, a mixed bag, which we've talked about at length, but it was a six-hour-long revival, so I think justified. So thanks for bearing with us, everybody. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Body. Now that I've worn out, I've worn out the world. I'm on my knees in fascination. Now we're going to talk about Saving Grace, which is a graphic novel memoir by Grace Wilson. It's the story of the titular Grace and her three friends, all 20-somethings trying to make their living in London, as they try and navigate London's housing market and find their different ways in the world. From the start, I have to say that I just like strongly related to so much of this novel. So much of it is about housing, in the same way that, you know, when we talked about New Blood, mm -hmm. which is ostensibly like a crime drama that is actually really just about some young people trying to find a flat. <laughs> this is what Saving Grace is like, right? It's a sort of like fictionalised memoir about a young woman who wants to be an artist trying to create something. But mostly it's just about her struggles to find somewhere to sleep. It really is the biggest issue for a lot of people my age younger even living in London who just don't have stable jobs and literally struggle to find not just like it's not just a case of like oh we'll never be able to buy a, a property but like somewhere that they can afford to rent it's just so difficult to find and she's in sort of a very crummy flat chair but as it goes on you realize that it's actually a great situation because she is living with three of her really good friends and yes the landlord is shit and yes there's mold on the ceiling and it's hugely expensive but at least it's stable and her friends are there and she's not living with weirdos as the book goes on, that's one of the main sort of concerns throbbing away in the background is like, I've got to leave my house because the landlord's doing up and he's going to sell it and I have literally nowhere to go, nowhere that I can afford. I feel like her process of looking at flats really, really suits the graphic novel format as well mm -hmm. because... You know, she does all the like research on the internet and stuff, and she comes up with this whole list of places to go and view. And then for every one, you get a few panels of like the current people opening the door to her mm. or like showing her the room. And just even more so than a written description would, when you like see a sort of skeptical Grace standing at the doorway of like the smallest room you've ever seen in your life, or mm -hmm. like the one where she has a really good connection with the people. Mm -hmm. And then just as she's leaving, like someone else is arriving to look at the flat, and one of the current inhabitants is like, dude I didn't know you were looking for someone I'm like you're my old friend and she's like oh I've lost that one that literally resonated with me so much as when I was looking for a flat with a friend recently it was I'm happily in somewhere very nice now but we were looking everywhere and we found this like one sort of okay-ish flat that was you know quote five minutes walk from Elephant and Castle it was actually 20 minutes walk from Elephant and Castle and not very central it was, wasn't very nice but we really like needed somewhere and it was like a good price and we were like do you know what this is amazing we've got to go for it we've got to go for it and we convinced these people to be like yes the two of you would be perfect and then I had to drop out because I found the current place that I live with and so my friend was like I'm still in though guys and they were like sorry we really liked you as sort of as a pair and we don't uh, really like you on your own that's so horrible it's so personal to basically be told like sorry we we wanted you as like you know a palatable pair but either one of you on your own would like be a bit much for us it's like Oh. I've heard so many horror stories about people who like have a spare room in a really nice but somehow affordable flat 
holding like flatmate audition parties and stuff where they like invite everyone who's applied to a party, make them all wear name tags and then like at the end decide who was the funnest. Yeah, and that there's a moment as well where she looks at one and she's like, this is actually okay. Like, yeah, it's not like gorgeous. Obviously it's a bit far out, but like I can afford it and it seems nice. And then she's like, how much did you say it was again? And they're like 780 pounds a month or something. And she's like, oh right, like literally 200 pounds more than I can afford. Why was it advertised as cheaper? And I've had that moment so many times looking for stuff where you're like, wait, you definitely said that this was like 550 pounds a month and it's just not. And there's a moment where as well, some a friend messages her like hey hey you're looking like you should come and live with us and then like sends her a link and it's like 990 pounds a month (laughs) and she like has like tears of laughter rolling down her face so there's a lot of moments in this graphic novel where people are like fuck you london you dirty horrible shit all but at the same time a lot of london is drawn as being really colorful and interesting and it's obviously a place that grace is really happy to be yeah it's it's a love-hate relationship isn't it that side of it is really good also her struggles to like find out what she really wants to do you know she is working in like an art supply shop but really she wants to be an artist and a writer periodically people ask her like are you working on any drawings at the moment and she'll sort of say some be like oh yeah a bit but you know nothing Mm. really to for you to see that kind of thing she's a bit embarrassed almost isn't she and you know who among us has not had that feeling either with friends or family or you know even someone who could potentially be useful for whatever project you're working on where they're like oh well I'd love to see what you've got so far and you'd be like honestly nothing apart from my thoughts (laughs) yeah and it's that really relatable feeling of like everyone in the world is extremely successful except Mm. me and I'm like a bum in my like mid-20s still can't get it together and I think that's a really so many of my friends feel that as well I think that's basically her greatest strength is that she draws these like daily very relatable interactions whether it's like the sexist guy who comes into the shop that you're working in and says something annoying or you're like overly intrusive landlord or whatever one thing she's really strong at in this area I thought was like workplace nightmare like minor interactions so there's one where she's like this is one of the friends jess um her boss says like oh about that appraisal next week i'm gonna have to push it back again i'll try hard for that raise but you know how these things are right now any pay talks on the hush hush though obviously but you know what would be super helpful before then is would be if you could come in at six next week and do a couple of late shifts too thanks babe knew you could like no no no. it's this rush of dialogue and you're like oh she absolutely has no power in this situation at all but it's just classic workplace it's just everyone's daily life and there's another bit where she goes to work in a school and the headmistress is like we have a trusting environment all working together but no unions we find our (laughs) internal chain of command to be much more efficient (laughs) It's so funny. She's really got like a knack of just capturing the the humour of that like hypocrisy. I highly recommend that Seriously listeners go out and get this book. It's just out in the last couple of weeks. It's a really beautiful object as well. Like it's really big and brightly coloured and yeah, absolutely worth it. So last week I recommended that Anna watch the 1938 black and white film Bringing Up Baby for the first time because you wanted to try more old movies. So how did you find it? It's so funny because like 20 minutes into this film I was like, there's no baby. (laughs) 
Where's the baby? The titular baby is actually uh, a leopard. Yeah. So it's really funny. It's like a screwball comedy, as you say, but I feel like kids and adults alike could enjoy this film, right? It's farcical. Mm. It involves ridiculous animals, people being really silly. So it's just sheerly entertaining. Obviously, Catherine Hepburn really like steals the show, I think, in this. There's some amazing outfits, like ridiculous. Like what's the weird bow like on her hair that like goes all the way down and round the back? Yeah, that I could not work out. I kept pausing it because I rewatched it this weekend so as to be ready to talk about this. Uh, I kept pausing it to be like, is that like a ribbon she's wearing yeah. or is it like a, a veil? veil or what? I have no idea. Yeah, in the restaurant scene. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird. Also, I mean, Catherine Hepburn is one of my style icons for her wearing of amazing trousers. Mm-hmm. And she there wears a great trouser scene. Yeah, there's some great trousers in this. The dialogue element of it did. I know that I've really got Gilmore Girls on the brain, but I suddenly was like, ah, they've really like borrowed this sort of screwball comedy like the confusion you know like when people are talking really fast and they're like wait you mean you want to be married to Barry and she's like no not Barry no 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 Gilmore Girls has clearly been influenced by it it reminds me of what gets called in P.G. Woodhouse a lot as a knockabout crosstalk act yes <laughs> which I just think is such a good phrase for that it. is amazing I'm going to steal that and write yeah. that down that's so good yeah so I loved all that stuff and one th- question I did have while watching it is what on earth does Catherine Hepburn see in Cary Grant in this movie I don't know he's such an idiot <laughs> he's like played as this very very stupid man who like has all these women basically doing everything for him and then he's like no women involved in this ah oh, it's very serious no thanks <laughs> ladies but they're obviously like directing his life he's very easily manipulated and just very stupid and Catherine Hepburn falls hopelessly in love with him within about five minutes and then spends the rest of the film trying to win his heart and you're a bit like cat babe <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can do better yeah yeah I do have a slight soft spot though for Cary Grant for being I think the handsomest man ever to do the like wearing glasses so not hot thing Mm, yeah that's true oh that's a nice uh, reversal of the now female only wearing glasses so not hot trope because all the way through he's like boring man who works in museum wearing glasses not really handsome wearing like slightly oversized jumpers etc and then he showers and then he showers and takes the glasses off yeah and she does have some lines that are like do you know how handsome you are with your glasses glasses off yeah that is great some of the farcical elements i really enjoyed i like actually gasped when the when the like brontosaurus or whatever collapses (laughs) in the end i was like wait why do I care? <laughs> also, um, the I remember the first time, because I watched this like you, not really knowing anything about it at all. And the first time he goes charging into the bathroom and the leopard is just there. Yeah. I remember being like, ah, it's a leopard. Yeah, you know, it's like but literally you knew a real leopard. Where did they get this leopard? I'm, I would love, a, you re- must remember this sort of on the making of Bringing Up Baby. Oh, I tried I to find one. one. Oh. They, they've definitely done, obviously, things featuring Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, but like they're quite disparate stuff. I hope that there are some like set stories out there. I'm definitely going to go digging because it was, yeah, really enjoyable. And I definitely want to watch some other films from that period of like studio golden Hollywood era. As I think I mentioned last week, I first watched this because a friend of mine was doing a film studies course. And so we watched like his whole syllabus together. Mm. I remember really enjoying the Philadelphia story, okay. which is also a Catherine Hepburn schoolboy comedy. Oh, great. Okay. Quite different. Like the character she plays is quite different, but like in lots of other ways, quite similar. Wicked. So quite a departure, but not too much of one for you for next week is Maggie's plan, which I'm now starting to think kind of similar. Obviously, there's no leopard involved, but the titular Maggie falls in love with someone and 
tries to orchestrate getting them to fall in love with her and as the film goes on she then tries to in an Emma-like fashion manipulate lots of other people as well because she has you know certain ambitions that change over the course of the movie as you can tell from my very vague description that's me trying to describe the plot to you without actually giving anything away (laughs) who stars in it so it stars Greta Gerwig as Maggie and Ethan Hawke as the sort of professor that she falls in love with and Julianne Moore as his wife who is also a professor and like really really on it and amazing they're the love triangle basically at the film's heart and it's just quite funny and quite farcical and quite piercing at points and I really enjoyed it when I saw it I saw it in America over the summer when I was on holiday and just found it really fun so hopefully you'll enjoy it yeah I'm looking forward to it I generally am pro any film that has Julia Moore in it yeah she's amazing Thanks for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including in iTunes, where you could leave us a rating and a review if you so choose. It helps other people find the show. Also on our website, srslypod.com, you'll find all our back episodes, including our specials on Gilmore Girls, Harry Potter, Love Actually and Friends. We're also available many other places on the internet, including on Twitter, Facebook and Tumblr. We're Seriously Pod on all of them. We love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed. Get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com. And if you feel strongly that more pop culture needs to be taken seriously, spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.